So if you've been following along, Joseph was carted off to Egypt as a servant or a slave. There are a number of possibilities when you're taken captive into a hostile land. And it would seem that uh, Joseph rather landed on his feet. From uh, initial appearances, it seemed, to, seemed that he, he landed in a very ideal setting. He became the, uh, the man in charge of the whole household of the captain of the guard of, of the pharaoh. The perks were somewhat ideal, with one major exception. Every day of his life, he faced the sexual pressure, the predation of the, the wife of the captain of the guard. Day after day as he went to work, he faced relentless pressure, temptation to turn away from the living God. So this morning we want to address a question to those of you who claim to have the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, who claim to have the power and presence of the Holy Spirit in your lives indwelling you. The question is, how powerful is God in our lives? What kind of transformative energy is stationed in the decision center of a child of God? Especially as it relates to the battle with temptation. Is there power enough to overcome the natural physical desires that we have? Is there power enough to win the battle over the so-called safety of privacy? Who will know when I'm by myself? Is it wrong if nobody knows? Is there power enough to convince that it's still wrong even if everybody else is doing it? When sexual freedom is considered progressive and enlightened and sophisticated the way it is in our culture. Is there power enough to preserve convictions even when you're a cast-off, a throwaway? Would you turn in your Bibles this morning with me to Genesis chapter 39? I want to look this morning at temptation and Joseph, the man of God. I want you to know that... um, Temptation is always a showdown with idolatry. Always. I'll explain that to you a little bit later. But fundamentally, it's choosing the things God has made over God. It's always a decision. And so when you're cast upon the sea of temptations, and we all are, what difference does it make having the Lord with you? In 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 and 8, it says there, God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. Therefore, he who rejects this instruction 
does not reject man, but God, who gives you his Holy Spirit. Do you see there? There's a direct connection between holy living and the gift of the Holy Spirit. In fact, when we were called into God's family, we were called to holy living. It's a calling in our lives. And it's not just some empty call, but rather a call that's energized by the presence and indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. God says in that verse, I've called you to holy living, and by the way, I've given you the gift of the Holy Spirit to make it possible. So, what difference then? What differences will an onlooker notice in the life of a child of God? When temptations come over you like a sea, I want to um, point out this morning that I think there are four major observations that we can draw from Genesis 39. And the first one that I want to point out before we read the text together is that there is something uniquely different about a person led by the Spirit of God. At least there should be. You know, when we were, um, when we were brought into faith in Christ Jesus the commission that was given to us by the Lord himself was you will be my witnesses you will be my testimony and what is it that we will be witnesses to we'll be witnesses to our faith to real saving genuine faith and that faith is demonstrated in two ways we demonstrate that God is I am and that I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek me. That's what it means to be a witness to the living Christ. Those two things are to be noted in our lives by the onlookers who don't know anything about the Lord. They're to notice that He is and that He's a rewarder of those who diligently pursue Him, diligently seek Him, are diligently devoted to Him. I wonder if that's so in Joseph's life. Look with me in Genesis 39. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar, an Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. The Lord was with Joseph, and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. When his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, Joseph found favor in his eyes and became his attendant. Potiphar put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. From the time he put him in charge of his household, of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had both in the house and in the field. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, Come to bed with me. 
but he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you, because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day when he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside, she caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. When she saw that he had left his cloak in her hand and had run out of the house, she called her household servants. Look, she said to them, this Hebrew has been brought to us to make sport of us. He came in here to sleep with me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. She kept his cloak beside her until his master came home. And then she told him this story. That Hebrew slave you brought us came to me to make sport of me. But as soon as I screamed for help, he left his cloak beside me and ran out of the house. When his master heard the story, his wife told him, saying, This is how your slave treated me. He burned with anger. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. There's something uniquely different about a person led by the Spirit of God. Did you notice in the text when I, when I mentioned to you that, that the difference is as witnesses we, we declare that God is and that God is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him? Did you notice what the guard or the captain of the guard noticed in, in Joseph's life? He saw that the Lord was with him, that the Lord was real, that I am is. And he noticed that the Lord gave him success in everything he did, that the Lord rewards those who diligently seek Him. That's the witness commission lived out in Joseph's life. This is what the worshiper of many gods noticed in Joseph's life, that there was a God in heaven. And he was with Joseph. And he prospered him. That's a mighty powerful witness, you know. And each of us are called to be that in the place God has put us. Each of us in our workplace are called to be uniquely different, to demonstrate that I am, the great I am is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. It sends shockwaves through the skeptics. I notice something, you know, in the life of a godly person. Secondly, there's something satanically relentless about targeting a man or woman of God to turn spiritual shockwaves 
into cynical bubble bursting. Yeah, I knew he was just like the rest of us. He preached a good game. He claimed that he was different than anybody else. He claimed that he knew the living God. He claimed that he had power in his life from the Holy Spirit of God, but he's no different than the rest of us. Rather, temptations. By the way, the scriptures tell us that temptations come from Satan, not from the Lord. Uh, Turn in your Bibles and keep your fingers there, if you would, to James chapter 1 for a moment. I want to show you something about temptation. I said at the outset that temptation is connected to idolatry. In fact, when temptations come your way, if you fall prey to them, It becomes a diagnostic tool of idolatry in your life. Look with me in James chapter 1, verse 13 through 15. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil. Nor does he tempt anyone. Make sure you understand that. When temptations come your way, this is not from God, although he permits it. But each one is tempted when by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Then, after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to to death. Make no mistake about it. Temptations come from Satan, but in particular, as he works on our own evil desires. Um, The desire of Satan, of course, in a man or woman of God, is to, to disgrace your witness, to embarrass the Lord, to pull you from God. In fact, um, temptations are designed to, to move you to exchange control of the spirit for control of the flesh, to be independent, to choose another way to succeed rather than entrusting your life to God, to choose to be independent, to choose your own direction, that God isn't enough. And to trade in God's blessings, in particular his future blessings, for something valued more and immediate. To seek our joy in the creature as opposed to the creator. It's being tempted away to choose the things God has made over God. That was what happened in the Garden of Eden. There was a showdown of idolatry. Would Adam and Eve choose the Lord God over everything and anything? Or would they choose the things that God had made over God? It's always an idolatry showdown. That's what temptation is all about. Will it be God in your life as God or will you choose the things he has made? 
Now, by the way, God gives us things. Not only does he say, I am, but he says, I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. That's why the great contrast in James following in verse 16 is this. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. The choice in a temptation showdown is to choose things from your own evil desire over the things that God wants you to have. Thirdly, you know, there's something uniquely different about the people of God who stare down temptation. What does it take? You will win the battle and not act out in temptation, as I understand it from the book of James, if you prevent desire from impregnating you. Don't linger near your lust. Once desire has conceived, it says in the text, sin is birthed. Those who succeed over temptation make no room for pregnant desire. Instead of looking for sin to enrich you, you first of all take inventory of all you have. That's what Joseph did. He looked at her and said, everything he owns has been entrusted to my care. Look at all God has given me. Look at how God has, has, has allowed me to be steward over. So what about you and me? from our study of the book of Galatians. Didn't we learn in Galatians 3, verse 26, that we are heirs, or verse 29, that we are heirs of God? Look at all that God has given us. He's given us every blessing. He's given us all of his goodness. He's entrusted all of that to us. Whatever temptations they are, they offer a cheap alternative to the amazing and great things that God has given to us. In 1 Corinthians 1.5, it says there that for in Christ you have been enriched in every way. If you are in Christ, you, every single one of you, me, we have all been enriched in every way. Now think about that. If you need to sin, maybe you don't have Christ. Rich people don't need to rob from the poor. It is my guess that if there's a break and enter in Bill Gates' neighborhood, he's not on the suspect list. Why would he? He has so much already. Why would a child of God, why would one who is enriched in every way with Christ fall prey to Choosing to sin. By the way, even if you sin in secret, it affects more than you. Sin is a slap in the face of everyone connected to you, most particularly the Lord Himself. 
It changes everything. It changes everything for everybody. So I can suggest a strategy to you. Cultivate loyalty to the people who have invested in you. You want to, uh, you want to face temptation and stare it down and win? Then, then cultivate loyalty to the people who've invested in you, who've prayed for you, who, who've, who've uh, believed in you, who've cared for you, who've helped you. That's what Joseph was doing. My master, your husband, is, he's entrusted everything to me. He's invested in me. You want me to, to throw that all away? But more importantly, the living God has invested everything in me. He spared no expense for my salvation and your salvation. And we notice by reading the story that she would sell him out in a New York minute. The second he said no, she ratted him out. Unjustly, we might add. Sin is the ultimate act of selfishness. He says to her, you are his wife. His wife. And he has withheld nothing from me except you. Verse 9. Let me just say something to the, uh, the young people among us this morning. This is the story of a married woman. The temptation is the same. Even if she were unmarried. And to the unmarried, I want to say this. Everyone is someone else's future husband or wife. You've been enriched by Christ in every way. Don't steal. Before giving yourself to sin, you know, you, you need to pay attention to all you are, not just all you have. He had it all, you know, Joseph. Power all of a sudden, principles, and it's, so it tells us in the text he was good looking. It's a lethal combination for a predator. But she wanted the prize more than the pleasure to prop up her failing esteem. And so he says to her, you know, there's no one greater in the house than I am. What did we learn when we came to faith in Christ in Galatians chapter 3, verse 26? That we are all sons of God. There's no higher human status in all of the universe. Do you understand that? There is no higher rank. There, there is no greater status in all of humanity than to be called a son of God. And so he understands who he is. And, and we as priests of the living Christ... Priests of God are, are bridge builders to eternity for those who, who don't know Him. We, we bear a, a, an incredible responsibility as sons of God. 
And as I explained to you several weeks ago, for those of you who might not be here who are women among us, it's a good thing to be called a son of God. It's not a gender issue. It's a status issue. It's a cultural reality that in that culture, it was better to be a man. It was a higher rank. That's just the way it was. And so when you're writing a text to a people who understood that, to be called a son of God was a high, high rank. To look at a woman and say, you are now a son of God, was to elevate her to the highest possible human rank. Those who face down temptation know who they are. And it says he refused. Day after day he refused. So what does she do? She clears away all the servants out of the house thinking that if I can just get a private moment with him, if he can just feel safe like nobody will know, then he'll fall for the temptation. And you know what stopped him from that? Because long ago, before he had been brought into that house, he had cultivated a loyalty to the living Lord. So what if you clear all the servants out of the house? You can't clear the Lord away. If you think you ever have a private moment when you open up that laptop, think again. And so he says to her, how could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? The one who sticks with me, the one who's never forsaken me, Joseph says, the one who came with me to Egypt, and the one who will go with me wherever I go. I noticed something else, that those who stare down temptation allow buyer's remorse to settle in advance so they don't forfeit all you will be. Have you ever been a salesman of big ticket items in here? Sold houses, sold cars, something like that? Anybody? Am I the only one? Come on. There's only a few of us out there. Me and Jimbo, we're the only big ticket salesmen in here. Okay, all right, thank you. Have you ever bought a big ticket item, a house or a car? Yeah, 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 okay. You know what buyer's remorse is? Salesmen know what it is. It's when you get a phone call the day after you've got that contract thing. They say, I, I, how can, I, can I get out of this thing? You're like, well, no. Why? Because I've just, done a, I've just done made a huge mistake. <laughs> it's called buyer's remorse. You know, the people who stare down temptation, they feel buyer's remorse in advance. They understand the deal. I don't want this deal. I don't want it. I, I can feel it's bad now. I, I don't want this. The Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. He knew that if, if, he, if he for one second fell for this temptation, for this idol, for this act of idolatry, that he would forfeit what he had going with God. So Joseph honored the Lord rather than embarrass him. 
You know, um, all of us have been kids at one time. That's, most of us have gone behind our parents' back and done something. Done something they didn't want us to do. And most of the time, particularly if you're living in a church community, everybody else knows about it. Except the parents. And with Facebook, it's even worse. And so there's this thing going around whereby we're really mocking our parents because they don't know and we think we're getting away with it and everybody else knows and our parents become kind of the laughingstock of the community. Can I tell you that God is never in that position? He is never mocked. Nobody else, it's never the case where everybody else knows what's going on, but God doesn't know what's going on. The Bible tells us, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. God will never prevent seeds you think you bury in secret from becoming full-grown plants. That's what that verse means. You might think you're burying something in secret, but you plant that seed, and God is going to cause it to come to full-grown plant. Because he's not going to be embarrassed. He's not going to be mocked. He's going to bring that sin out to light. And show it for what it is. Joseph knew this. So he had buyer's remorse in advance. Beloved, do you want to pick fruit or pull weeds for the rest of your life? There's one final comment that I want to make this morning. There's something uniquely different about those who withstand temptation and get clobbered anyway. You know, most of us, as we read through this story, would like to think, well, Joseph, you know, he withstood temptation, stared it down, chose God over all, Day after day, a relentless temptation. 17-year-old guy, think about it. Away from home, cast away from his family. Who's going to know? And so he stares it down. You'd think he was thinking in his heart, God has really got a big reward for me waiting. Instead, he ends up in prison. So who are the people? I want to meet these kind of people. I want to meet the Josephs of the world who can stare down temptation, remain faithful to God, and get clobbered for it anyway, and still serve the living God. Who are these people? I'll tell you who they are. They are people who really believe in God. That's who they are. They are people who absolutely, 100%, without reservation, really believe in God. You see, these are the people, whether they're a property manager or a prisoner, to them, the greatest treasure never changes. It's always the living God. Always. 
They are not idolaters. They are worshipers of the living God. You want to stare down temptation, you want to win over temptation, then really believe in God. No matter what your circumstances are or become, no matter what kind of false accusations come against you, no matter where you end up, you believe in God. And you will win over temptation every single time. Because the power of God enables us to live a holy life. That's the promise of God to us. They would rather take their chances on the Lord who died for them than have a short affair of the flesh. You know, as you finish up this story, while Joseph was there in prison, you notice that his choice paid off to believe in God. Because it says that in prison... The Lord was with him. And everybody noticed that not only was I am, but I am a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. He gets a promotion in prison. Now he's over everything there. And stay tuned. Because this is just one chapter in some amazing chapters yet to come in the Joseph story. You know, you can win the battle over temptation When you lose your love of idols, stop loving the things God has made more than you love God. When that happens in your life, there is no temptation that will come your way that will cause you to stumble or fall because your desires will be one to serve and love the living God alone.